way that we live now is so much more cushier than ever before. Times have never been better. Why are we complaining? But the truth is that um, we're, we just don't have it right. We don't have it calibrated right. And at the end of the day, <laughs> our companies are run by people. We just can't help it. We have, we stress out. We have an amygdala. It works this way. We, you know, it, it flares up at the least appropriate moment sometimes and really causes us to lose focus and we get tired and we need to eat uh, and healthy food, not donuts, you know, kind of thing, um, which, which will help keep us on our game. And I think just paying attention to that as a company, it's like the machine. Like we, we spend all this money on equipment in our company and we just fine tune it and oil it on a regular basis, really pay attention to what it needs to run as its maximum efficiency. And we don't think about our people in the same way. The building industry can definitely help and it is good business to do so. There is um, a value placed on a healthy building. A bunch of researchers have gotten together and said, let's just compare all these companies that won all these great awards to the S&P 500 over the last 10 years. How are they performing? Like, are they really rocking it or not? And um, they have seen threefold return. It's, it's a balance, right? And a lot of, um, in America anyway, you know, un unfortunately or fortunately, um, the burden of healthcare is on our companies, right, to pay for it. It's not a an automatic right, um, unless you're over 65. Um, and so it's, you know, I mean, when you really take a hard look at um, the responsibility, um, it is the individual, but it needs to be the company supporting that. Hello, I'm Brittany Campbell-Turner, and this is The Constructor Podcast, episode number 41. Hello, and welcome to The Constructor Podcast, the best way to build it. This podcast is dedicated to helping property owners have certainty in their decisions about their construction projects. We talk about fostering trusting relationships within your project teams, help you to understand how to lower risk, be under budget, and on schedule in your construction projects, and most importantly, exceed your end user's desires. My talk today is with Lee Stringer. Lee Stringer is Senior Workplace Expert for EYP Architecture and Engineering and author of Healthy Workplace, How to Improve the Well-Being of Your Employees and Boost Your Company's Bottom Line. We talk about the business case for a healthy workplace, fueling the human engine, and choosing the right design elements to enable productivity. We had an amazing talk and without further ado, go ahead and listen into our interview. Good morning, Lee. Welcome to the Constructor Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining today. You're the senior workplace expert for EYP, Architecture and Engineering, and you're researching employee health and productivity with Harvard School of Public Health, the Center for Active Design, and also some other organizations. Could you give us a brief history of the workplace? <laughs> the nickel tour. Well, um, you know, the, the workplace as we know it today, um, and I'm really specifically thinking about um, office space uh, in particular, you know, uh, working indoors. Uh, we've only been doing that for the last uh, couple of hundred years. Um, and so it's really shifted our everything about uh, the way that we behave during our day. And um, back in the, you know, uh, earlier Industrial Revolution, which is probably the first time we, we really were unmasked working indoors, 
it was cold and dank and smelly and terrible, you know, air quality, and we all know the stories. Um, it was actually so bad. Um, I heard this um, pretty recently that in uh, Manchester, England, and in places and and um, in uh, London, they actually had this thing called gin carts where people, you know, really uh, were drinking gin consistently throughout the day. <laughs> so it was so bad we were we were drunk most of the time which caused all kinds of other social problems. But uh, anyway, and then we, you know, got wise to this, uh, realized being around large machinery and drinking, not a good thing. But um, yeah, so, you know, then we, we've slowly been uh, moving to less, more enclosed office and more o open office space. Um, that's kind of gone back and forth over several shifts over the last several decades. Um, and so now we're at this place where uh, we are in environments that are actually good. I mean, relatively so in terms of air quality and other things. But we spend enormous amounts of time uh, indoors and um, often in environments and sitting down, uh, first off, and staring at devices, kind of Cro-Magnon style, just hunched over, you know, looking at these things. And it really is, um, over the last few years, we're really seeing a change. I talked to an epidemiologist who looked at the last 50 years of work. And one of the things he was just trying to figure out was, all right, how many calories are we burning just based on the typical jobs in the United States? And uh, he found, looking at every decade, he found that, uh, sure enough, that we are burning something like 100 less calories than our grandparents, and we're consuming a lot more processed foods. And the result is, you know, we're all um, suffering from obesity, and our BMIs are very high. And and it's, um, it's just this kind of... Um, slow progress. Um, it's like we're frogs in a, in a pot. You've heard that, that um, statement, you know, right? So we're turning up the water slowly and we're like, oh no, we're fine in here. No problem. But boiling to death, right? And so um, it is a problem and it's affecting every bit of our society. And it's also, um, we're really stressed out. And I think a lot of that it has to do with the fact that we're not moving very much um, and we're not able to kind of uh, get away and relax. Uh, we're just kind of working solid um, for long periods of time. And uh, so that's that's a bit of the state uh, where we yeah, are now. No, that's a great brief outline of, of what has taken place over time from the industrial um, age. And I must say, I am grateful to you because you, having read your book, The Healthy Workplace, both my husband and I, we have been moving more. Just you've inspired us to just get up and go walk outside as much as possible. I mean, it's just one of those things where you just don't think about the effects of sitting and looking at screens all day long like that. Although the workplace is, you know, better, as you said, than it was, I don't know, 60, 70 years ago, there's, there's still that active mindset shift that needs to take place for you to understand what the effects are and then try to combat them. So thank you for doing that, number one. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. That's, that feels so good. And I, one thing I noticed is that there, there's a, a connectedness here between uh, employee engagement, well-being, and environment based upon you know what you've been talking about in your book. Could you talk to us a little bit about how those things interplay. I know you talked a little bit about well-being, but if you could just kind of touch on those three things, because that's going to be the basic high-level outline of our discussion today. Right. Well, it's really kind of um, the ultimate question, right? How can we all be more productive in terms of the question for business anyway? <laughs> that's what we care about. 
how can we um, get the most out of our brains and and be the most creative and the most thoughtful and get ahead of the marketplace and capture value and all the things, all those smart things we know we need to be doing in business. So one of the things I did in my research was to uh, interview the folks from the Health and Human Performance Index in Orlando. And they uh, really set me straight. They focus on helping elite athletes to increase their performance, get from like an A game to an A plus Olympic champion type game. And for 30 years, they've been helping them with nutrition and movement and and really um, focused on improving uh, improving everything about uh, what they do, so that they they bring home the cup, you know, bring home the the trophy. And it's, uh, they're now applying that same thinking though around sleep and stress and all the things that they worried about with their athletes um, to to corporate America. And their big aha, their big um, rule value is helping people manage energy, managing it from point to point. You know, in the case of a tennis match, it's like exhausting, you know, going from point to point. How do you manage energy and how do you manage it between matches and between um, training and your game day? And uh, and so really for the rest of us, I think there are great lessons there, too, about managing energy. And when it all comes down to it, when you really think about, you know, how much you're able to give um, in a given day, you have so much more when you've been sleeping, when you've been Pacing yourself, um, allowing your brain to relax a little bit, going for a walk, um, just not trying to hammer down day after day after day after week after week. Um, because uh, doing that, you can do that for a short period of time, but longer period of time, you really, um, you really can't. And uh, the burnout is rampant in a lot of our companies, and it uh, causes all kinds of productivity issues. So. I think um, and it causes presenteeism as well as absenteeism, right? We push ourselves and push ourselves and we get sick. Or we show up at work and we're just uh, just not really there 100%. You know, we don't have our game on. And that, uh, it's interesting. So we measured um, in my own company. We did a little study with Harvard um, looking at, um, it's called the Human Performance Index, actually. It's work with Johnson & Johnson initially who acquired the Human Performance Institute. Oh, it's a lot of the same. Um, evaluation mm -hmm. tools they use, and um, and added some aspects about the built environment as well. And we found, um, yes, that sure enough, mental health was a huge issue for us, um, as well as physical health issues that caused absenteeism. And it was millions of dollars a year. You know, when you really get down to the number of hours, labor hours we're missing, it's big numbers. So um, there's a cost, you know, uh, there's a health cost. A lot of people focus on that, the ROI of your health care. Um, costs go up, especially if you're self-insured. Um, so a lot of there's health promotion uh, programs and things like that. Companies are really focused on to improve the um, the cost of insurance for their employees and also what they're having to bear as a corporation, um, which is which is great. But um, the real cost, I mean, the big big um, issue is the productivity cost. It's the the value you're not capturing in the marketplace because your people don't have 100% to give. And at the end of the day, <laughs> our companies are run by people. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of AI out there. I'm really optimistic about some, you know, some things that we can automate <laughs> in my own day, frankly. But, um, but we're people, and we just can't help it. We, have, we stress out. We have an amygdala. It works this way. We, you know, it, it flares up at the least appropriate moment sometimes and really causes us to lose focus. And we 
get tired and we need to eat uh, and healthy food, not donuts, you know, kind of thing. Right. Um, which, which will help keep us on our game. And I think just paying attention to that as a company, it's like the machine. Like we, we spend all this money on equipment in our company and we just fine tune it and oil it on a regular basis. Really pay attention to what it needs to run as its maximum efficiency. And we don't think about our people in the same way. And we should. Great. I'm really excited about the AI stuff too. So <laughs> I actually uh, interviewed um, someone who, who started a robotics company for people who work in warehouses. So it's essentially a, a conveyor system that walks around with the employee. <laughs> um, but exactly that type of thing. Yeah. I think it's very interesting from a historical perspective that we're just now seeing the connections today or in most recent years. And I really like that you highlighted a number of those things in your, in your book. I want to talk a little bit more deeply about the problem. You mentioned a lot about healthcare costs, insurance costs, of course, as that relates. But in your book, you specifically mentioned that 70% of Americans are overweight. I had no idea that particular metric was that high. How does that really affect productivity? Well, the um, you know, just using a, a raw numbers perspective, so 70% of Americans are overweight. Of those, um, about half of uh, those folks are obese, um, and a good number are grossly obese, And um, which is really the scary part. I mean, a little bit overweight, you can kind of deal with that. But once you get into levels of you know, severe obesity, all these chronic health issues come up. Right, and so um, type two diabetes and um, and the muscus, musculoskeletal issues. I mean, those those are chronic uh, in their own way, but um, but just those basic uh, chronic diseases that keep cardiometabolic diseases that come up over and over again as as taking pe people out of the workforce for very long periods of time. People needing surgery, people just not being able to to do um, their daily tasks or, you know, having to be hospitalized for one reason or another and large amounts of doctor's visits just to manage um, severe obesity often. I mean, some people, uh, their bodies can handle it, but most, <laughs> there's, there's, you know, it catches up with you, unfortunately. And so that is where the real cost is, particularly from a healthcare perspective, because that's where all the burden is. You're healthy people, you're often the younger people, uh, frankly, but also people who are or are grossly overweight. I mean, that is where the burden of healthcare is in our society, and um, it affects the companies as well, um, particularly if they're self-insured. And that is really a growing trend. Even my company is 600 people. We are self-insured, so we're um, you know we we really think about these things, and um, it's not going away. I mean, if you look at the numbers, there are all kinds of interesting, um, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation has a map. You can actually look at your state and see so obesity, average obesity levels in your state and, um, and look at it over time. And it is pretty shocking how quickly this has changed just over the last couple of decades. So I think it's, um, again, it's sneaking up on us and something that um, is is real uh, from a healthcare cost, particularly when it comes to to absenteeism and also the cost of healthcare. Mm. That really just kind of brings it into to a good understanding of of the the problem from a company standpoint. Um, we do talk a lot about the owner's perspective and how to reduce uncertainty in their construction projects, but it really starts with what is the 
what is the goal you're trying to achieve? And if you're wanting to enable your employees to do the best job that they possibly can, they need to be there physically. Um, so uh, having higher um, health concerns and having to go to doctor visits and just the stress of that alone, um, that's not going to get them to be performing well. And it sounds almost uh, a little bit of, it sounds less personalized if you think about it like that. Mm-hmm. But as a business, it's honestly, it's something that you truly have to think about and really care about your employees at that level. Yeah, and, and a lot of times, you know, these healthcare plans, um, their incentives, it gets, it feels a little coercive, you know, like, oh, if you don't get this, you know, blood drawn and if you don't do the following things, um, go to the smoking cessation program or whatever, we're going to increase your healthcare cost or we're not going to give you the discount um, kind of thing. And that, that can feel pretty coercive. So it's, it's a balance, right? And a lot of, um, in America anyway, you know, un- unfortunately or fortunately, um, the burden of healthcare is on our companies, right, to pay for it. It's not a, an automatic right um, unless you're over 65. Um, and so it's, it feels weird, companies having an interest in your personal health life. You know, it's like, oh, it's a little intrusive here. Um, that's, my, that's my thing. Only in America do we feel this way, probably. But, um, you know, where you're on my turf, uh, don't mess with me. I, you know, my, my body is my problem. Um, unfortunately, it isn't just your problem. It's your family's problem. Um, and all the folks who take care of you also have to leave work when you get sick and um, or have some sort of chronic issue, and it is the burden of the people that you work with. All your colleagues have to pick up for you and your company, too. So it's, you know, I mean, when you really take a hard look at um, the responsibility, um, it is the individual, but it needs to be the company supporting that and really getting behind it um, or the institution in, what, in whatever way they can um, to take away the... I think the culture is a really big deal. Um, we haven't talked about that yet, but just this culture of, well, if you're not sitting at your desk and looking at a computer, you're not working. You know, really, really, <laughs> you know, come on. Um, if I look at a computer for 12 hours, I will collapse. So please let me get up, move around, take a break. Um, you know, we we do need that. We have to pay really close attention to, um, to uh, the nature of our, workflow and if we're staring for long periods of time and not moving and not standing um there's all kinds of problems and in fact um sitting is the new you know smoking we talk about that a lot it's hit the news but um there's also people suffering from deep vein thrombosis from sitting long periods of time you know i used to hear about that on planes like oh people in long flights they get this terrible (laughs) it's really a horrible thing to happen anyway so people are getting it just from sitting at their job now and um, it's, you know, this is a problem. So I think it's, uh, it's up to the leaders of organizations and the leaders of people everywhere to take some steps to encourage people to, to really be healthy, to do what they need to do, um, to take care of themselves, and to give them permission to get up and move and whatever it is, you know, whatever it looks like. For the, go outside for a little while. Um, mm-hmm. All these are important and not, it's not frivolous. It's called taking care of yourself so you can be productive. So let's talk a little bit about some of those specific things that help us to maintain the human engine, as you kind of describe it. Let's talk about the importance of it and then some of the specific items that you recommend. So 
so many, so many. Um, one of my favorite <laughs> is sleep because so many people I know struggle with it. And sleep is uh, something that we, working indoors, uh, kind of we lose our biological clock. We lose some of the effectiveness of it because we are out of the sun. So we have this thing called the circadian rhythm. And uh, it is, we have lots of biorhythms in the body, but um, this particular one is, um, triggers sleepiness. And um, there's a production of melatonin that happens during the day. And uh, as light waves, you know, as the sun starts to set, melatonin kicks in somewhere around eight at night, seven or eight at night, starts to kick in a little bit and then big time um, around bedtime. Um, which should be around nine or 10 <laughs> for most people. Um, it varies, of course. But, um, but yeah, it just really floods the brain. It's like, oh, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. And melatonin is, you know, that uh, particular chemical, which works really well. And then what triggers um, the stopping of melatonin is the sun, um, in, you know, historically. And uh, basically, light waves of a certain frequency hit the back of your eye. It's a nerve in the back of your eye. Um, which trigger the reduction of melatonin and just shutting it, shutting it down so that it starts producing it again. And one of the best things that you can do is to get outside, actually get outside in sunlight, take your coffee outside, you know, open the window, walk out in your patio, whatever you can do to, um, to actually get a good dose. And um, I've talking to sleep experts, they say, you know, you should really get as much sun as you can, as you can squeeze in during your, your work day or your, or your weekend day or, or non-work day. And um, do so for, you know, an hour if you can, spread over some time, doesn't matter. But the morning, the morning's the really key time to do that. Working out, go for a run, go for a walk, um, walk your dog, whatever. Do that in the morning, and that will set your system. Now, there are lots of other tools that you can use, like circadian lighting, which is the new thing. But there are all kinds of fun light bulbs. There's one by Lighting Science I really like called awake and alert, and you can literally plug in a bulb right by your desk or someplace where you want to be awake. And it, it is amazing. It really is bright. It makes you feel uh, more awake. And some people claim more happy, <laughs> which is cool. But, um, but there are lots of fun ways to do that. But I think sleep is really foundational and something that, I mean, there are all kinds of good habits that we all should, should be doing too, which, you know, we could talk all day about. But I feel like the, the light thing is... Um, is more important than we think. And we've been working in the dark relatively. I mean, when you look at the amount of luminescence or the amount of lumens that are available, lux, sorry, in the atmosphere, um, it's, you know, on a really bright day in Florida, it's 100,000 lux, where as in our offices, it's like 10, you know, if we're lucky. So um, our bodies really need more. Need more sun if we can get it. Yes. Yes. You know, it's so funny because I, I've i noticed on the iPhones, they've added that different light setting. It kind of looks like more amberish. And I've actually downloaded something similar on my laptop. It's called, I think, flux.io. I'll put it in the show notes for you guys. Just so that when you're working at night and you know that you're planning on going to sleep afterwards, you are not wired from having that light just kind of keeping you awake. Actually helped me a lot because I had trouble sleeping. So I really like that point. Well, my best advice is to turn it off. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yes, those other tools uh, can help. I do think it is better, like in your, your sleep behavior, kind of good practice, is to have a time 
when you just say, nope, I'm turning it off now. I can get it in the morning. Work will always be there in the morning. Um, and you know, the other thing we do that's really horrible is we email people late. At, oh, don't forget, email Bob because I'll just send it out at 10 p.m. because I'm not going to remember it tomorrow. I'm taking the kids to school, blah, blah, blah. So we fire all these email off to our subordinates or people that feel obligated to then look at the email and respond. It's so bad. We need to get in the habit of just wait till the morning till you press send. And you know what? Chances are it's going to be resolved by morning anyway, <laughs> you know, or you're going to have a better idea about how to resolve it in the morning. When I think about something at night like that, I'll either write it down or if I'm really, if I'm already on my computer or I have my phone out, what I'll do is draft an email and not send it until the morning. Because you're like you said, it may just be resolved by the time you get to work. And and they're not the ones being stressed about you sending them an email anymore. So I find that that works well for both me and the person that would be receiving the email. So <laughs> you're you're not as clear headed at 11 p.m. Exactly. You know, I'm, I get snarky. I'm like, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> an email, of course, you know is six times more snarky than how you even intended it, right? So the person receiving it's like, man, what's going on? Anyway, yeah, I, my best advice is to put a pause just as you're doing. I love it. Yes. So let's talk about um, maybe movement. I think that I've seen a couple posts on Twitter about yoga <laughs> from you. So could we talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure, sure. Well, movement is so important and it's so foundational. And, you know, this whole mind-body thing, it's connected. It's the same. Your mind is part of your body. And moving um, is uh, just going for walks. Um, right now, I'm, I'm taking this call standing. Even standing is great. Um, uh, but I think moving in general, just, you know, in general is a really good thing and increases productivity. And a lot of creative ideas come when you are moving. Um, I think yoga is a very interesting practice in general because uh, I think it started really to be a good stretch out before monks meditated for long periods of time. And uh, so it's a good, if you're going to be sitting for long periods of time at your office, um, yoga is a great way to kind of get all those stretches out, you know, your, your insides and your outsides all kind of refreshed for the day. Um, there are lots of fun um, new yoga. Yoga Glow is one of my favorite uh, current apps or, uh, or uh, websites where you can go and you can um, do like a 10-minute, 5-minute, 55-minute class, whatever you have the time for whenever during the day and pick your favorite instructor and pick some part of your body that you want to work on and um, and that's a really great way to integrate it. There's actually a gal in our office who decided to become a yoga instructor. And so now she's teaching us in our office, which is pretty great. And um, you'll find a lot of yogis kind of hiding in your mists. And it's great to take advantage of them at, um, in the workplace if you can. Uh, we're just using one of our conference rooms. And uh, it's fantastic. We've got a few mats and some blocks. And we're good to go. But it's, um, it is a really good way to um, just kind of move those parts that weren't moving, increase the blood flow, um, and reduce other kinds of risks. People, um, people claim that they, they get themselves hurt in yoga <laughs> sometimes because it's, it's kind of competitive, like, oh, the person next to me is on their head. I should be on my head, you know. It's important with the yoga to really just kind of stay where you are and not try and do more than you need to. Stay in your lane, absolutely. But it's, you know, it's being mindful of your body, all that good stuff. And I will um, do, yeah, all kinds of yoga stretches at my desk. Um, sometimes just in between meetings, I'm like, oh, God, I'm feeling really stiff. So I'll just do, do a few moves and stretches, and that's, 
really easy and takes up no room and I look a little weird, but um, <laughs> we're, we're starting to be a little more accepting of doing yoga at work with our, with our colleagues. So um, uh, that makes it okay. But I think, uh, yeah, other, other ways, you know, it's just, it's movement every 30 to 45 minutes if you can swing it. Um, and what I mean is just standing up as a movement. Walking is great to do at least every hour, an hour and a half go get a coffee, go to the bathroom, um, walk around the block, whatever it is that you can do to um, remind yourself, you know, put a little prompt on yeah. your computer. Or... And then there are people, of course, who, who move all the time for a living, uh, which are in the, um, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of office workers, but there's, there's nurses who are on their feet all day and, and, and people in the medical profession. And that's a different story, right? They need to be thinking about sitting a little bit more, because um, we we weren't weren't meant to do any one thing for all the time. We really were meant to change it up. Um, one thing too, it's interesting. If you look at early early uh, humans, humanoids, we spend a lot of time crouching, actually, which sounds a little bizarre, but hunt, hiding, hunting, um, you know, hiding from tigers, um, hunched down. Um, and, uh, so that position just kind of squat on the floor and crouch is a really good, um, uh, stretch that kind of counteracts a lot of the things that, that we don't do when we're sitting down on a, on a chair. Could we, I mean, you mentioned the monks already. Could we talk a little bit about mental health? So I mentioned this, uh, we tried out on ourselves, EYP, we did the Harvard, uh, health and human performance index study and. It was so, so interesting. We were, one of the things we were trying to do is really connect all these data pieces. And so many things about health are important, but it seems like it's talked about um, in facilities one way and real estate another way and HR another way and, you know, the health and wellness promotion people another way. It's just an all different metrics. I'm like, let's put it all on one thing. So we, we did that and we started looking at our health in lots of different ways and, and our productivity. And one of the things we found was mental health for us absenteeism and presenteeism due to anxiety or stress or depression was two to three times as impactful to our productivity than physical issues. And we just talk, spent a lot of time talking about the physical stuff and how bad that is, but the mental is much worse. And I don't think we're alone. I think I may have heard from a lot of people that this is a similar uh, finding for them and the impact is pretty um, significant. We you know, found in the millions of dollars per year, it was mostly mental health that was our, our problem. And so how do we manage that, right? So yes, there are all kinds of wonderful new ways uh, that we're learning from neurologists everywhere about our brain and how to manage it. And there's uh, so much research that um, was brought initially to bear by folks like John Kabat-Zinn um, and Sharon Salzberg and people who went to the Far East to talk to to meditation centers and to, to really understand how people were managing their mind in a way that um, allowed them to be more clear, clear thinking with all the mess that's normally in our head, right? How do we really focus our thoughts? And so um, a lot of, initially, a lot of that mindfulness was brought to the United States um, by John Kabat-Zinn anyway, to deal with chronic pain. So he was a doctor at Mass General, and he was really concerned that, you know, we keep medicating ourselves to deal with pain, but there's got to be another way. So he came up with an eight-week mindfulness course. I think it's eight weeks, and it's about 20 minutes a day, and um, you go to classes once a week, and then you do these 20-minute exercises. My husband actually just did it. It exists in hospitals everywhere now, which is kind of cool. 
and they found, uh, they've been studying people who do this, particularly those who've never meditated before and then those who have um, through this mindfulness-based meditation um, stress reduction course. And they found that um, all kinds of amazing things. Number one, uh, brains of people before they meditated and after meditated. So after they found that the amygdala in your brain, the part that is the fight or flight, freeze, it stresses out, you know, at a moment's notice kind of thing, it actually has shrank significantly in the brain. And the hippocampus or, or the executive function, compassionate areas of the brain had actually increased. So people had actually, by working out those muscles, people had actually, you could physically see that stress was being reduced because of the stressor in the brain getting smaller um, and vice versa. And then, um, so what's really great, I think, about that particular course, um, my husband liked it, but um, <laughs> when I forced him to go, <laughs> but uh, lots, of other, uh, lots of other people have benefited too. And what's great is it's so consistently taught that you can use it in a scientific study. And that's what John Gabazin was very concerned about. He's like, I want to prove this. I want to see this play out. So he's done that. Um, Aetna Insurance has done a ton of work on mindfulness, and they have a chief mindfulness officer now, which I just interviewed on my blog if you're interested. It's so interesting, this guy's job. But, um, yeah, they are seeing so much value at Aetna for mindfulness um, that they, with their employees, that they're now very serious about offering it to the hundreds of thousands of people who have Aetna Insurance, like those insurance holders. And... Um, you know, when insurance companies do stuff, they're very thoughtful. They don't spend money um, willy-nilly. And these guys have done enough scientific research to feel comfortable that it's worth something. So it's exciting, I think, to see that. It's, it's kind of the new thing, right? Our, get inside our heads and really understand them. Neuroscience is totally hot. And, um, and it's great because we do, that is kind of the, a big frontier that we have yet to discover so much more about. But what we know now is these basic practices. And I use things like, I'll use apps like um, Budify. I love Budify. It's so cute. It's basically five, ten minute um, exercises and you can click on there and it's like, I'm walking. I'm stressed out. I'm waking up. I'm going to sleep. Or whatever. You can pick it. And then this little British voice will like talk you down. It's so sweet. Um, <laughs> with some, I need help. With some I, calming music in the background. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're feeling fine. Um, but sometimes, or waiting in line, there's a good one. You're waiting in line. Boy, I hate that. So <laughs> anyway, um, any, any opportunity to, um, you know, have a little coach in your head. And so, uh, there's lots of others. There's one called Calm. There's one called, um, oh, what's that one with the, um, Australian monk? I'm forgetting it now. But, uh, oh, it'll come to me. But, um, there's several, several out there in the marketplace now that are really great. And so, um, it's really possible for anybody to just throw on a set of earbuds and and try it. And uh, I do think it's it's really, really helping so many people, not just deal with chronic pain, right, but this chronic stress that is causing us um, all kinds of issues. Um, and it's not just uh, issues of productivity. It's really issues of happiness and issues of feeling excited about coming to work and all those things. It's you know, when you let the little stuff get to you, it can be, it can be uh, exhausting. And so this is a way to oh, mitigate yes. that. I think what really speaks volumes is, is Aetna's research and the fact that they're going to roll that out to their insurance holders. So huge. 
I'll probably put a couple of those yoga or rather mindfulness meditation apps, those links in the show notes. I've used a couple myself and they've really helped just simply breathing, taking the time to take long breaths, 10 deep breaths, and just tell yourself you're calming down. You can create your own saying that you say to calm yourself down. It's it's just all about knowing the steps to take and taking them when you have any little bit of anxiety or stress. And it's it's learning about it. It's being aware of that. And a lot of people you will use prayer and it's it's very similar. It's a it's something to think about when you are just trying to address your overall health. So to kind of move on to the design side of things because you work at an architecture firm and that's ultimately what your focus has been in. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about the design of workplace and the behaviors that relate to some of the design elements? An easy example is the sit-to-stand desk, right, um, which I highly recommend in whatever form you might be interested in acquiring that particular piece of furniture. But um, it is really great to stand. Um, a lot of folks buy them and then don't use them, uh, I've noticed. Um, and they're like, oh, I just don't feel like I have permission to stand up. It's kind of weird. So you do have to kind of, back to, you mentioned behavior. I think you do have to kind of encourage people to go, hey, stand up. It's good. Or we're going to have our stand-up minute or uh, whatever. Uh, but encourage people to, to actually use that. But it is really um, super great. And that also, just by standing, you're naturally moving more, and uh, which is which is good all all, all around. Um, other things, biophilia is all the rage, which is our um, preference to be in and among nature as humans. And um, there's a lot of study, a lot of really interesting research around biophilia. Um, it's not just real nature, like having plants in the office or having a green wall, but uh, it could be fake nature. It could be things that are biophilic, uh, similar analogs to nature. That kind of looks like a leaf pattern or that kind of looks like a tree. Like if you've ever been to national airport, the big columns or big yellow columns kind of look like trees and those are all biophilic. And so, you know, our, our earth is pretty wonderful and restorative. Um, and, uh, there's been lots of interesting studies in Korea and Japan looking at forest bathing. So if you've ever been to Seoul, it's like one big slab of concrete. And, uh, so they have this whole industry now of people who will pick up people in buses, take them out to the forest and have them turn off their devices and walk for an hour in the forest. And they're seeing incredible changes in people's blood pressure, um, variable heart rate, uh, all kinds of other um, uh, metabolic factors. And it's changing, uh, how, you know, their stress levels dramatically. So they're like, oh, we should be bringing some of that green back to the office or back to everywhere. We seem to be destroying our parks left and right and um, or not, not maintaining them like we should and not um, celebrating them like we should. Um, Central Park, without Central Park, New York would just be horrible. I think everyone who lives there would agree. Um, we need these things. And so finding ways to, to bring it indoors is a wonderful strategy. Um, what else? What else? So many things. So there's, we didn't talk about nutrition, but there is uh, a lot of focus now on something called choice architecture. And what that means is uh, basically putting, making it easy for people to make good choices. So when you go to the grocery store and you go to the checkout lane, you can either have a bunch of candy that you're staring at while you're waiting in line, or you can have some healthy food. And if you have healthy food, people are significantly more likely to pick up the healthy food than the candy. So a lot of companies are looking at their cafeteria or their break room and other things like that and saying, well, you know, we could, 
we're not, we don't want to get rid of potato chips. Sometimes you just really want some, but let's put it in a cupboard and on, let's put fruit out um, or let's put healthy choices uh, first. And the numbers are ridiculous how quickly people take them um, or will pick up on those. Um, there's a guy, Brian Wansink out of Cornell, uh, who has written a lot about it. And uh, it's actually, if you're interested in this kind of thing, he's got all kinds of great ideas like, uh, one is um, when you when you buy plates, buy a plate that's 8 to 10 inches diameter for your meals. Uh, too small, and you feel kind of gypped, like, mm, you know, 6 inches, I just didn't get enough food on this plate. If it's too big, you'll fill it up with pasta, right? So, <laughs> uh, and you'll feel kind of like, I got to fill it up, it's not my meal. So there are these mind games that you can play on yourself that are really, really helpful um, in the office, too, or in, in your workplace with, uh, again, choice and selection and careful careful use of cutlery and and and, um, and plates and bowls and all that good stuff. But um, nutrition is is so key for, for weight loss. We always think we can we can burn it off. I'll just run it off later. And it is so much harder to do, particularly as you get older. Uh, so nutrition is really, really important. And one of the things I learned at the Human Performance Institute was the importance of snacking. And um, of eating meals that are of reasonable size, but really not too big. And then every two to four hours to have 100, 150 calories. Nothing too big. Tiny bar, um, you know, chia bar or something, or a little thing of yogurt. Um, just something that will tide you over to your next meal. Um, and at work, you know, we just kind of get in our zone. We're doing our thing. And all of a sudden, you're like, God, I'm starving. And the only thing around is like the... Soda, you know, the vending machine, which has some pretty crappy selections, um, even the healthy ones. It's, you know, it's all processed stuff in there. <laughs> so being, I think, you know, one of the lessons or things I always tell myself is a, is a good offense is the best defense. So having stuff in your desk or having stuff in your bag, in your backpack or purse or whatever, ready to go is really, you know, a handful of nuts, whatever the case may be, is the best defense to those hunger pains that will just take over, you know, and you're just going to make a bad choice if given only bad choice selections. Um, and not everybody has vending machines. Not everybody has the cafeteria even. So um, we got we to gotta be a little proactive about, about food, just like everything else. I really like the, the tie that you made between nutrition. I know that there are many aspects of the human engine that need to, to be maintained. And, and I know we didn't get through all of them. Obviously, I'll put the, the link to Healthy Workplace, the book, so all of you can see them and have access to all of them. But I like the tie that you made, particularly between design and nutrition. And it's really like that mindset shift that, that needs to take place around the design perspective when you're talking with um, different owners, right? When they're wanting to build out their spaces and they do have cafeterias. It's what kind of company do you want to be? It's asking those type of questions. All right. So if your food services vendor that you're hiring or, you know, how, how are they laying out the food? How can we make sure that we have simply if, in order to put out your vegetables and fruits right there before the cash register, you got to put something like a, a cold fridge or something that can hold those things right before the register. So this is kind of having those mindset uh, concerns when you're talking through design with with your clients. So I really like that you kind of highlighted. It, it's a good correlation. I really like that. Well, and and a couple new tools have come out um, kind of right as the book was coming out and since um, the well building standard 
um, is coming out, which is fantastic. Lots of great strategies in there and kind of the, some of the emerging research that they're finding and research that's been around a while that really proves out some of the um, points and certifications that they're, or optimizations as they call them, um, that you can pursue. And there's another tool that um, is, is pretty recent, FitWell, which is um, being administered by the Center for Active Design in New York, but it's actually developed by the CDC. And um, it is another tool, a little bit, um, it's a little bit more targeted, you know, the CDC it really has a public health mission. So it's targeted for all the existing buildings out there that we have today. Um, and I, I think the well tool's a little better suited to new buildings because there's just so much more you can do with a new building, right? Um, but if you have an existing portfolio or a mixed portfolio, you might want to consider um, Fitwell as an option too because they are really looking at things that, things that work, things that are very affordable, but work with, again, what you have already with some modifications over time, you can um, you can see some interesting results. And I, I like with both these tools, but I think particularly the Fitwell tool, just because I know it a little bit better, there is massive amounts of research behind every strategy that is being proposed. It's not, it's not like, oh, this is a newfangled thing that's been untest untested. They were very, very clear about what works and what doesn't. And in fact, more points are awarded to strategies that have higher health outcomes. Um, an interesting, uh, so it was, you know, a funny little trivia, one of the things that uh, points that has the most credits for whatever reason is the lactation room. So if you provide a lactation room for your employees, um, it has been shown, uh, I guess, to have better better health outcomes for lots of good reasons um, for employees. So it is, uh, if folks can use that for lactation and or napping, even better. Um, but uh, but it is good to, to have those things. And, you know, with some thought uh, and and rejiggering of space, usually it's not too hard um, to find a way to make them work. And uh, again, things, and these are plaques that you can put in your building. It's wonderful marketing opportunities for your employees, or recruits, all good stuff. I love those examples. And then I'll put those resources in, in the show notes as well. <laughs> so the main topic that I wanted to get to talk with you about is the business case for a healthy workplace. Uh, just because, you know, the, the targeted audience is owners, uh, property owners who are wanting to make decisions about ultimately their design and, and construction. They want to understand why is it worth it. And, and I think we talked about a number of things already. Um, but if, if we could just kind of hone in on some of the, the, key, the key topics about why this makes, you know, great business sense to, to go this direction. Sure. So there are all kinds of um, studies that have been out for a few years and some that are emerging every day that talk about why healthy buildings um, are better business. Uh, the absorption rate is higher. Um, the rental rates you're able to get in healthier buildings is higher. Um, it just seems to be a better product on the market. The perception um, is that way. Um, and I, I happen to think the reality is the same, but, um, but people are really behind it. And it's interesting. I was, you know, if you look at sustainability, which is another, you know, really important thing to consider, but if you just look at the interest, Google sustainability or Google health and wellness on, on the web, you will see a return about a hundred times for health and wellness, um, than you will for sustainability. I mean, people care about the planet, but they care a lot more about themselves and their health and well-being, and when it's themselves and their families 
and or their colleagues or whatever, there's, there is um, a value placed on a healthy building. So that I think is um, pretty exciting to see. I think there's also um, all kinds of just, you know, from the businesses who are, are adopting these healthy practices, there are several uh, several ways that companies measure health and well-being, and one is through um, the C. Everett Coop Award. There, there are awards and things like that that you can go after. Um, there's a Corporate Health Achievement Award. And uh, interesting, a bunch of researchers have gotten together and said, let's just compare all these companies that won all these great awards to the S&P 500 over the last 10 years. How are they performing? Like, are they really rocking it or not? And... Um, they have seen threefold return. I mean, honestly, if you're interested in a stock portfolio, look at who wins the CHA award. Actually, one of the researchers, I think, is doing that. He's, getting, he's like, man, this is so good. This is like a, amazing intel. So he's created his own little stock portfolio uh, or investment fund or whatever. But um, it is, it's pretty cool. So it makes sense, right? Companies that care about their people are seeing returns. Um, and so as when you're selling as a building owner, when you're selling people on this, I think there's also some great um, benefit that you can, you can share with those people potentially renting from you. And I'm happy to provide those research reports to you directly. Um, they're pretty Googleable. If you look up Ron Getzel, G-O-E-T-Z-E-L, um, and Ray Fabius, those guys have done a lot of research around it. But, um, and you can, you know, they're happy to take your call and you can punch holes in their data, but it's pretty, pretty, um, pretty amazing. There's also companies uh, or, or research done uh, by Catherine Baker at Harvard I was really impressed with. It was a huge lit review looking at um, the return on investment for health programs and companies and, and, um, and she saw huge amounts of returns. But again, you know, kind of feeds back to companies that care in health and well-being, whether it's through their building, whether it's through... Um, their business, hopefully both, um, that they really are seeing um, returns in the marketplace. So, and 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 benefits to their bottom line. So, I think those are um, there are many more that come out every day, and I try and track them like a crazy person because I also, you know, I'm I'm part skeptic. You know, you think about it, like the way that we live now is so much more cushier than ever before. Like, I mean, come on, we were hunting and gathering. We're like hand to mouth for most of our time on this planet. And now we're like living in these cushy buildings and we have food and supermarkets so we can just go grab. And it's just, you'd think, well, what, you know, times have never been better. Why are we complaining? But the truth is that um, we're, we just don't have it right. We don't have it calibrated right. And we have to, despite... Um, our instincts to grab those processed foods. We're going to have to counteract that and find ways around it to kind of nudge our behavior um, to be more healthy in order to to really um, behave well despite despite what we may want to do. Um, we you know we need something a little different as humans, and so we've got to kind of strike this balance of having um, you know good business practices and and great buildings um, that will support health and well-being and nudge behavior in a certain way. And then we have to have people that, of course, want to do it themselves. I mean, it, nothing beats mm -hmm. that. But um, I think I think we can help. The building industry can definitely help, and it is good business to do so. You made some incredible points there. And one of the things you specifically mentioned and a couple of times throughout is just your mindset and, and the culture. We talk a lot about from a, a personal level, but from an organizational perspective, when, when companies are wanting to set out goals, 
from a health and wellness perspective for for the employees, what what would you recommend are some good ways to roll out some programs that encourage the type of behavior that enables employees to have that healthy work workplace mindset? Well, I think you know one of the one of the mistakes we run into is this kind of a one size fits all strategy. I mean, every employee population is a little different, and the work that they do is a little different. Even you know within the same industry, people work a little differently in one company than they do in another, or have different health considerations. So, I think um, you know before getting in there and saying this is what we're going to do, um, is to to talk with people about what their concerns are, and also share with them you know kind of um, not giving away confidentiality, but but sharing kind of you know what companies like the, us you know for example are doing and running into. Um, we, we benefited it at EYP by taking this little assessment, right, with Harvard. It helped us get some clarity around what the real issues were. Um, and, and your health insurance company can, can help you do that, too. Sometimes people um, rely on that uh, for information, uh, data, rolled-up data about their, about their organization. But if you can know a little bit, you know, be armed with a little bit of the specifics around your company, um, start with that. And... Um, and then start to uh, identify some areas that people are really passionate about. Because I find when you start with a personal passion, it is so much easier to take the ball and run with it. And um, top-down initiatives are great, but bottom-up, I think, is equally good or even better. Um, it's funny. I mean, a lot of organizations that really seem to be talking about, about this stuff publicly they're being led by people who've had some sort of health crisis, frankly, um, or something that's kind of sadly shocked them into needing to take it seriously. And um, they've had a friend who had a heart attack, or they, you know, they themselves have, have had some sort of chronic issue pop up, and, and they realize, you know what, it's due to stress, and I want to do something about this, not just for me, for my team too, uh, which is really important, but I think they're not the only ones who are, are having these aha moments and, um, or, or have things that they're really passionate about and that they want to um, share with others. So um, I think a, a top-down, bottom-up strategy is really the best way to go. And culture changes very slowly. It's not something that changes overnight. Uh, I've heard it's as long as seven years to really change a culture, so be patient. Um, if you're a champion of health and well-being and really pushing things up the hill, um, keep in mind it does take some time. But I think it, um, it's nice to have data, too. There was a gal who was with a finance company who started a mindfulness practice, for example, in her, her organization. She's like, I really want to get my mindfulness certification, and um, I you know, am happy to lead a little course you know, in our New York office over lunch, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it was. And she did it, and then um, people loved it so much that other offices wanted to participate, so they conference called them in from other offices, so other conference rooms. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. So they're all, like, doing this. She's, like, leading this mindfulness course and relax and da-da-da. Everyone loved it. Um, but after a while, she's like, you know what? We should measure this um, to really give this legs. So she did. She measured before and after, and everyone was like, I have more energy. I'm less stressed and blah, 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 blah. This is awesome. You know, I have more to give um, to my work, and, and that was great fuel. So I think it's, you can't eat the elephant off all at once. You really do have to kind of pick some things that matter to your organization, that are tie into the personal passion of your people, 
and then measure it. Make sure it's really working and it's having the effect that you want and then build from there. Wonderful advice. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I would say overall, you've given us a lot of resources throughout this interview. Do you have any additional ones that you feel like just can't be left out and you want the listeners to know? Well, I, I would just say, you know, I try and um, when I do find things, um, I try and put them on leestringer.com and share with the planet as soon as humanly possible. I try and vet. I mean, there's a lot of mm, your questionable data out there. But when something's really useful and really helpful, I'm like, oh, here's a piece of furniture. That looks like, it, you know, it's really getting great reviews and seems to work really well. I'll put it up, and I'm um, happy to share that at any I, – I feel it, I feel it's my gift to the planet. So I'm, I'm big big on that, and I'm um, happy to put um, put you on my mailing list and just sign up really easily, and I'll shoot it to you. But, um, yeah, that's where I put everything, you know, as I find good information or great tools. There's this, oh, this great um, reporter I, I found recently with Forbes who's doing some amazing – uh, writing about health and wellness issues, and I've been trying to push some of his work. So anyway, I think it's it can come from any place, or lots of places, I should say. Um, really great research happening in Sweden and um, in California and out of Boston, lots of places. Um, actually, uh, Hopkins is doing great research. So anyway, there are a lot of great places where, where this stuff is coming, and um, I try and funnel it. When it's related to work and the physical workplace, I try and put it um, put it there. No, that's good. And we'll absolutely put leestringer.com in the show notes so that you guys can't miss it. Also check out Healthy Workplace and The Green Workplace, uh, a, another book that you've written that we didn't discuss very much here, but we'll also put the link for that in the show notes. Any particular ways that you'd recommend for people to reach out and contact you? I know you have a Twitter. I mentioned that before. I'm on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and uh, you get to me, uh, contact info on leestringer.com, any, any way you like. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this interview with me, Lee. It's been a pleasure. Oh, mine too. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Lee. I know I learned a lot and I hope you did too. So let me know if you did. You can find me on Twitter at Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I-E-C-T on Twitter and you can find me on LinkedIn um, or you can just email me b-r-a-t-t-a-n-i-e at constructor.com I want to know how this podcast has helped you even if you haven't implemented it yet if you just want to learn more still email me again that's b-r-i-t-t-a-n-i-e at constructor.com In the next couple weeks, I will be doing a series about blockchain in construction. I will talk about what it is, how it can be used, and talk with people about how it's already being used and the possibilities for increased trust and transparency when using blockchain. I'm pretty excited about it, and I think it will open the door to some amazing possibilities. So with that, don't forget to subscribe at Constructor, that's ConstructRR.com, to get email updates from me. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so at iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave me a review to show your support and let me know how you're enjoying the podcast. I look forward to talking with you guys next week.